G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. faith to say, well, while I'm still waiting for why I went through all this, I was supposed to have that accident. It was possibly the best day of my life. I don't look at it as a bad day. It's extraordinary. Because of where we are today. All families have their fair share of challenges. Some go through them more publicly and dramatic than others. For David and Kylie Payton, is unfortunately the latter after David not once but twice nearly lost his life after two major bicycle accidents. Kylie has written a book called Miracle Man about her family's journey through this and the lessons they have learnt along the way. That's David and Kylie Payton, our guest today with my wife Kate and myself Brett Ryan for part two of our conversation for Focus on the Family Australia. Kylie, you're at the hospital now and you're hearing the news from the medical profession about all of his injuries. So what are they and what's going through your mind? Um, Okay, so if I start at the top of his head, he had uh, a brain injury, broke his neck, broke his back, uh, both collarbones, shoulder, 14 ribs, his right wrist, his right knee, shattered his pelvis, lacerated spleen, both lungs collapsed, multiple abrasions, cuts over his legs, nearly lost his left eye. Yeah, so he was pretty beaten up. And what were they saying about his prognosis at this time? When I got there, his best mate and his wife had actually arrived before me and uh, his best mate was with me when the two emergency doctors came and spoke to us in a a private room. You always know when you take him to a private room in the emergency department, it's not good. And the first words they said to me were, we're most concerned about the brain injury and the spinal breaks because if his spinal cord has been severed, we can't repair that. And obviously the magnitude of his brain injury, same scenario as they're saying that I'm sitting there and I'm just going in my head Lord if he is going to be a vegetable take him home now the kids and I'll be okay he wouldn't want to live like that he wouldn't want us to have to travel that journey and I said and Lord if you've got a plan for him you're going to have to work a miracle right now give all these doctors and nurses the skills they need to save his life this is your call And that's all I could do. Like, there was no point panicking. There was no point breaking down. It was in God's hands now. And uh, I spoke with the head of the trauma department quite a while later, and he said to me quite openly, he said, I cannot explain why David's still alive. He said, medically, he was a 10 out of 10. There's no medical explanation as to why he survived his injuries. They were that horrific and that um, serious that he should have died. Hence the title of your book, The Miracle Man. The media dubbed him that. Channel 7. Yeah, the hardest thing for me, funnily enough, what was happening with Dave, it was what it was. Whatever was going to be was going to be. I couldn't change that. All I could do was look after my kids, be there for him, and whatever was going to be was going to be. The media got a hold of the story. It was actually on the radio up in Shepparton before I'd been notified. No names were mentioned, but it was on the 6.30 news. I didn't get notified until about 20 to 8 that morning. I already knew something had happened just through 
the events of that morning, but I didn't know where he was, what had happened until the police finally contacted me. But half the town already knew of the accident and the phones were starting to ring. This is the thing about country towns. Everybody knows everything. This is the thing about... (laughs) Exactly. So the only saving grace was that the police officers and the Ambos had actually written his surname down wrong. They'd written down Tayton, not Peyton. Right. So it actually gave me a window of time. Um, so I was notified at 28. I'm in, in the Alfred in Melbourne uh, about quarter past one by the time I was able to get there. And, you know, we're, we're being told what they're going to do. We've got to stabilise him. He's bleeding. We can't operate until we can try and stabilise him. Uh, So it was a waiting game for us. Um, I had his best mate and his wife with me and all we could do was wait. We let the kids know a censored version of what was going on and all we could do was wait. And about the 4.30 news broadcast, we were in the ICU waiting room and there's his face on the 4.30 news broadcast. And I was furious. I'm sitting in the Alfred Hospital in the ICU, don't know if my husband's going to live or die, and there's his face and the story up for the whole world to see because it fills the new spot. Yeah. Um, so I was ropeable uh, and a friend actually reached out to me that night after I got back to the hotel and he spent an hour talking me off the ledge. I was that furious with the media and their invasion of our privacy because we're a private family yeah. and all of a sudden our whole world is displayed for everyone to see. And that was actually harder for me to deal with than the fact that I could get a phone call at any moment from the hospital say, look, we've lost him, we're so sorry. So, yeah, it's interesting the way your perception of what's been taken away from him, our privacy was taken away from us. Um, so that was another challenge I had to manage on top of kids and family and friends. And I had phone calls after that coming from all around the world. It made, apparently, the international news broadcast. I had a girlfriend's sister in Dubai ringing her going, is that our Kylie's Dave? Please tell me it's not. I had a friend in England reaching out to me going, please tell me that's not your Dave. So all of a sudden I had this whole other realm of pressure on me that I just wasn't ready for. Well, your sense of control was removed too. Oh, yeah, completely. You you couldn't um, make the decision to tell people or not or to allow people into that part of your world or not. It was removed from you and that is where people (laughs) tend to fall in that hole Mm. when, when their sense of control has been removed. Yeah, and once again God stepped in. Uh, So that was the Monday afternoon. So the Tuesday night, I was back at the hotel quite late in the evening and I was in the shower and I was just, it was probably the first time I really broke down and I was just sobbing, Mm. Um, standing on the water, sobbing. I can't do this. You know, I'm exhausted. I haven't slept for two days. I've got kids I'm worried about. I've got a job. Sorry, still get emotional now, five years later. Um, Of course. My bosses were brilliant. Like my work were phenomenal. They actually organised the hotel room for me for the two nights. They said, put everything on the company card. Do not worry about a thing. We've got your back. So that was huge. That took so much pressure off me. But I'm standing in the shower, sobbing my heart out, going, God, I can't do this. This is just too much. And that small voice again, set up a Facebook page. And I'm, I'm now sobbing, laughing, going, are you for real? I barely use Facebook. <laughs> set up a Facebook page. It just kept repeating. And I'm like, I don't know how to set a Facebook. Like, I'm talking to myself in the shower and God. Yeah. I don't know how to set up a Facebook page. Like, Lord, really? It's a good thinking place. Yeah. It's a good thinking <laughs> it's a great, place. It's a great thinking place. And so anyway, I got out of the shower, messaged his best mate, said, do you know how to set up a Facebook page? God's telling me to set up a Facebook page. He's 
best mate has a strong faith as well, as we'll figure it out. So we did. The next afternoon in ICU, we sat beside his hospital bed and we set up Dave's page. And that allowed me to then control the narrative. So I said to all the family, please don't post on Facebook. I'll post an update once a day on how he's going. So then all our family and our friends, both here and overseas, can keep up to date with the actual facts. And I then had that bit of control, yeah. Because there was things that family knew that didn't need to be shared at that point in time. Um, Some of those are now in the book, but we needed that time as a family to process some of those things before we were comfortable enough to be able to share those with the wider world to help others. You know, we had to process that. Don't you love a practical guy? Oh, he's so good. (laughs) Because it gave back the control. He allowed you to sit there and think about something practical out of the emotion and do it with somebody else who also knew God who was being practical with you. Quite cathartic in some process. It was, and it's funny that it's what started the whole... um, Dave and I have always been very generous with our our time, with whatever we have, but that Facebook page sort of has led us to this point now because all of a sudden people we didn't know from both in Australia and overseas would start sending messages in. You know, they were going through their own challenges and and I'd get messages of, oh, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. You know, I'm going through something not as serious as what you guys are, but when I'm having a bad day, I jump on and I check out your update and it just gives me that encouragement and that hope to keep fighting and to keep pushing through. And that was very humbling because, you know, we're just a little family from Melbourne, Victoria, just trying to, you know, manage a, a really challenging situation and our journey is actually helping others manage theirs so that was sort of the start of the journey to get to the point of obviously writing the book and publishing it as that you know yes it's a story of trauma and heartache and mental health and all that but it's a story of hope it's a story of just because bad things happen you can either wallow in self-pity and make that your world or you can go, you know what, yeah, it's a crappy situation, it sucks, you know, it's destroyed us financially, mentally, physically, emotionally, but we had the strength and the fight in us to go, this is not going to define who we are moving forward, this is not going to define us as a family and now we can use our pain and our suffering to help others, to give them that hope to keep fighting. It's a lovely perspective. Isn't it interesting how... You know, even that Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things that happen to us, God will work for our good. Like he doesn't say he works everything for good. He worked for our good. And obviously in that he's used you and Dave and your story to impact and have a God impact on people around the world. That probably never would have happened before. You would have been a little family in a country town. And this is where God uses people, isn't it? Where he thinks they're nothing and no one and what kind of a story and how is he ever going to use me? And then he goes, well, you know what? You're going to have an extraordinary yeah. testimony. It blows my mind. It blows. I sit here and you, you know, you say, oh, "I'm even crying now." Well, I'm crying on this end. I just want you to know that it doesn't take very much. <laughs> well, it doesn't it, take very much well, because I, there's two things we've got here. Is that I used to work at the trauma center at the Alfred Hospital, and my wife has also been in a serious car accident. So we can relate on those levels, but we can also relate from our hat at folks on the family because we know that people listening to this may not have to go through that experience of a significant extreme. trauma, but we know that God is in there trauma, whatever it may be, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's physical or mental, 
Our guests today are David and Kylie Payton. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. Welcome back to Focus on the Family Australia. I'm Brett Ryan. All families have their fair share of challenges. Some go through them more publicly and dramatic than others. Today's guests, David and Kylie Payton, are one of the latter after David not once but twice nearly lost his life after two major bike accidents. David, you'd have to recover from a second accident, the physical and then the mental. So take us to that recovery stage. I don't know whether it's because of the previous accident was setting me up and preparing me for what was going to be a bigger fight or not. I was at the Alfred Hospital for about two weeks and then I went to the Epworth Hospital and that was to be for my rehab, which turned out to be about a further 11 weeks in the end before I went home. And about day one or two, I met both my physio and my occupational therapist. And I said to them at the time, not only will I walk out of here, which was being questioned at the time, I will ride again, which was definitely being questioned at the time. And I give both of you complete permission to make sure that happens. So if I'm difficult, tell me to just do as I'm told or else. So I'm giving you that control. You had goals. I, I did and that it wasn't going to beat me, despite the fact that for 11 weeks I couldn't do anything for myself. So as a grown male adult, relying on somebody else or somebody's else to do everything from going to the toilet to feeding me to blowing my nose, didn't matter what it was. It's very humbling. humbling. I couldn't do it for myself. And with a very strong prospect that walking was going to be an issue, I was told from day one I would have to learn to walk again. And a lot of that was a combination of the injuries and a combination of the fact that I was going to be lying on my back for 11 weeks. Yeah. So muscles have a memory. Yes, they do. They're yeah. taught to walk and then they continue walking for your life. Yeah. Um, I would have to teach them again because they'd have 11 weeks of basically going to sleep and not having to do anything and would think that that's how life was going to be. So I was going to have to retrain that. And because of my injuries to my pelvis, sitting on a bike seat was basically not going to occur. And trying to fight that never really happened, I suppose, because I just decided, eh, this has happened. I'm going to have to do this to get over it. Let's get on with it and let's do it. Probably not consciously. I probably handed that over to my physio and my OT and my surgeons and my nurses, but I probably wasn't them I was handing that over to. It was probably saying... God, this is where I want to be. This is what I'm going to do. Either you help me and make that happen or you make sure that the right... My OT was brilliant. My physio was brilliant. My doctor at Epworth was brilliant. I had what is probably considered to be the best surgical team in the country. I was surrounded by not one person in regards to my medical team that I could fault yeah. To my nurses, like, even my nurses. I, I, I just couldn't fault anybody. And Angels. at the time, I probably didn't think much of that. 
and I probably haven't really now until you've asked the question. I look back now and I go, well, yeah, somebody had control over all those people being around me. Yeah. And I have enough faith to say, well, okay, while I'm still waiting for why I went through all this, I was supposed to have that accident. It was possibly the best day of my life or one of. Yeah. I won't take that away from getting married and having children. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't look at it as a bad day. It's extraordinary. And maybe that's hard for people around me to quite understand. Yeah. Um, but I don't because of where we are today is a better place than where we were then. It's interesting you say that because you still have residual injuries and oh, mental absolutely. health issues. Yeah. And as men, I know a lot of males will deal with mental illness by drinking yep. or drugs yeah. or whatever it may be. They Something to go dull the wrong it. way. Yeah. Yeah. I use my bike. My bike was my answer and still is my answer. If I ride, I'm okay. Is it a stationary bike? No, I'm on <laughs> the road. That, one that you have in the yep. house? No, I'm <laughs> With pictures on the wall <laughs> of outside? No, no, I'm back on the road. <laughs> Didn't oh, wow. take long and I was back. How did uh, you handle that, Kylie? Um, look, it is who he is. It was funny when uh, I got the call and I was heading to the accident site to get what was left of his phone and his keys. I went past the airport and the air ambulance hadn't left yet so I raced in uh, and I actually got to see him they'd covered him up and I got to kiss him and tell him I loved him on the helicopter before they left and the two ambos that had uh, taken him from the crash scene to the airfield walked with me back to the car one of them said to me I bet you won't uh, be replacing that bike anytime soon and I laughed and I said uh, oh, that was just his training bike his race bikes on the wall in the garage at home and he said so you're on your way home now to drive over it and I said no because then I'll have to buy another one because I knew even then if he survived he would get back on the bike one day because it's who <laughs> he enough. is and what he does so well that's extremely gracious I have a feeling that it, mine would have been blown up if you know <laughs> piece by piece it was gone <laughs> so but that's as Kate was saying that you're gone through all of this and how you hearing when David talks about his you know recovery and what have you and still dealing with things this would have placed an enormous pressure on your relationship huge huge for me it was more the financial and the practical pressures as Dave said at the first accident we were self-employed so we lost the business basically Um, so we lost a substantial income overnight um, because we were self-employed, uh, we both had functions in the business, the income got split 50-50, which meant his income protection insurance would only cover 75% of his 50% of that yeah. income. So we went from a substantial income to less than a, a one full-time wage overnight. So that put massive pressure on me. And in the end, within probably weeks of having to put the property on the market because we were in debt up to our eyeballs. I couldn't pay the bills. Dave's parents had lent us some money, which was really hard for him to do, you know, for a bloke to have to humble himself and swallow his pride to ring his parents and say, look, can you help us? We're in really dire straits. Were you covered by Traffic Accident Commission? Yes. We were, but that was a three-year journey through the legal system, which was hell. Once again, another reason why marriages fail. The scrutiny and the invasiveness and the hoops you have to jump through as the victim is unbelievable. We settled 
we didn't get what he was entitled to because at the end of the three years, we were at breaking point. And that's what they work for. They they wear you down and put you back to the wall to a point where you cave and go, okay. And she said to us, she said, this is not even close to what we should be able to get for you. But if we don't take this last offer, it'll go to court and you'll be looking at potentially another three-year battle. And we just, we sat down and we went, we can't do that. Our our marriage will not survive another three years. So we went, fine, settle. So for me, that was tough. Dave couldn't work with his physical injuries, his mental injuries. He was unable to work. So I ended up back in the corporate world, you know, having to leave my kids every Sunday afternoon to travel to Melbourne for three days of the week broke my heart as a mum they're sobbing in the garage I never forget it they'd sob in the garage as, as I'm leaving and then you know you've got a two-hour drive and all those things are running through your head I'm the worst mother in the world what am I doing yeah. um you know this is wrong you know you, you've got all these recriminations on yourself and that's when I'd have to reach out to God and say God you've got to get me through this I said kids as me I can't do this I can't juggle full-time work traveling away from my family trying to juggle the day-to-day stuff and keep my sanity. Were you ever angry at God in that moment? You know, I've never been angry at God. That's extraordinary. I think in these moments, a lot of people go, you know, as we hear regularly, why did you let that happen, God? And I hear that a lot and people say that to me a lot. Yep. If you have any strong faith and you spend any time in the Bible, for me it's God doesn't cause the bad things to happen, but he doesn't always stop them from happening. Yeah. Do we know why he chose us? No. Do we know why we had to go through what we did? No. Will we ever know? Probably not. But mm. it's put us on a path where Dave has an amazing gift with youth. He has an amazing ability to see behind the bad behaviour or the the uh, learning difficulty or whatever it is to what the root cause is. And he has an amazing ability to then work with that young person to teach them how to engage or how to work around or, or whatever it might be to pull them out of that bad behaviour and to make a really positive change in mm. their lives. So that's what you're doing now, Dave? Yeah, yeah. So he wouldn't have been able to do that if these set of circumstances over the last 10 years hadn't have happened because we'd still be self-employed, we'd still be driving trucks all hours of the night. So for him, he's found his purpose through all of this. It's given him that ability to do what we think God put him on this earth to do. For me, I've had to pick up the slack And that's been tough, you know, and Dave knows that. Uh, You know, I've had to go back to the full-time work in the corporate world, which is something I'd never planned to do, and, you know, make those decisions for my family and work the long hours, do what what had to be done to keep us above water financially. So you have help in the home? No, we didn't have any help after either accident. Wow. I get someone in to clean the house for me now. Two hours, three hours of cleaning the house is better spent with me spending it with my family on the weekend than spending that three hours cleaning the house. Yeah. Unfortunately, time has got the better of us. And Kylie, I'd like to just close with you. What would you like to say to people who are listening to this through all the trials and the tribulation, the anguish of sitting by his bedside, but then it's the recovery and the mental aspects of this? How has your faith helped you navigate this and how have people helped you in this journey? My faith was my rock, knowing that everything I was going through God was beside me, yeah. you know, and at times he carried me. 
Trying to explain to young children the changes is really hard and just knowing that you can hand that over at the end of each day and say, Lord, you give me the right words to explain this to my kids. Mm. When someone reaches out to me, you've got to give me the words. I don't know what their circumstances are and I don't need to know what their circumstances are, but I can be there as a support or a resource or whatever the case may be. Yes, it's a story of trauma and hardship and financial stress and physical, mental But for me, it's the hope through the whole story. It's that we never gave up. We never lost our faith. We always believed that tomorrow would be better. And it might have only been a small increment better tomorrow, but those increments added up. And, you know, we look back five years now and we're probably the strongest we've ever been as a couple. Mm -hmm. You know, we still have challenges. You know, we've got kids that are still trying to to manage the mental anguish of what they've seen, what they've experienced. We've got a 17-year-old who's driving and gets really, really angry with the boys at school that are idiots in their cars because she's seen firsthand what a car can do to the human body. You know, so having to navigate those challenges, and we'll have challenges like every family for the rest of our life, but I guess what I would say to all the listeners is just don't give up. You know, find that person, find that connect group, find that church. It can be online, it can be in the physical, whatever it is that you need to give you that strength and that support, just don't give up. Keep fighting because there's always a silver lining. And whilst it may not be apparent when you're in the midst of the valley, as as I like to put it, it will become apparent down the track. And what good can you then use your experience to help others? Today's guests are Kylie and David Payton. Kylie is the author of Miracle Man. Her website is kyliepayton.com.au. These programs are only made possible through the generosity of people like you that have a heart for families. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation. And for more information on mental health, go to our website at families.org.au. I'm Brett Ryan, and on behalf of Kate and the rest of the Focus team, we look forward to you tuning in again for another edition of Focus on the Family, Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.